Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Hi, Brianne. Unbutton it. I am unbuttoning it. Oof. Are you going to make fun of me? Um, is it is it unbuttoning? I if- don't think that the buttoning thing is even a phrase. So I don't know. It is let's, a phrase. I promise. I Googled it. Let's explain. It. You, you explain. Okay. Melanie believes, and I think that we will probably hear from people, and I think that I'm probably objectively wrong, but I'm still going to go ahead and die on this hill. Melanie thinks that saying button it up means it means I'm supposed to end the episode somehow, but I don't know what you're talking about. Like, if, if you're doing anything... You need a resolution. We got to button it up. Like, finish mm-hmm. it up. Like a closer? Like, yeah. Uh-huh. No one calls it that. Hmm. I don't believe it. I People surely, I, say, sure, I did not make this. Up. No, button it up. Uh, I didn't make this up, I swear. All right. Well, I don't know about buttoning it up, but you can unbutton the beginning of this episode. So, unbutton it, Melanie. I'm really full. I ate too much food. What did you eat? I had mussels mm. and scallops, like a scallop pasta. I bought mm. Chrissy Teigen's uh, cookbook, which was... Oh, I have one of her cookbooks. I love her. Uh, I went on a cookbook spending spree because I had this great idea that once a week, I would have my kids pick out a recipe and we would try something new and just oh, like... Well, I've had that idea before, too. Yeah, well, I need cookbooks that don't have desserts in them because that's, of course, <laughs> they're little. <laughs> that's what they're picking. That's what they want. Did you make dessert? Did they make dessert? No, hell no. We're not there yet. We have wow. to. They have to eat the the grown up stuff first. They were wow. not amused with um, mussels or scallops, though. I am not either. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told. When I sent you the picture of my uh, muscles today and you just sent me that blank emoji face. I was trying to be nice. I know. You're I wanted to out. send you the, the like puking face or like the maybe <laughs> seasick face, but I was being nice. What's so gross about it? it? It's like, that's not food. It's like bugs almost. I've eaten bugs. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten in your whole entire life? Uh, probably like a chicken nugget because I have the palate of a four-year-old. Jesus, Brian. I don't even, I mean, nothing that is even objectively weird. Probably the farthest on the adventure spectrum, which doesn't even belong on the adventure spectrum, would be like duck or rabbit or something. I had lamb chops last night. I have had Rocky Mountain oysters. You know what those are, right? I did but i forgot balls it's it's something bad <laughs> yeah they're nuts melanie they're so good if you like chicken nuggets or chicken tenders you would die these are the best things that you'll ever eat in your whole entire life 
I like chicken tenders with a dipping sauce called knowing the knowledge that I'm not eating nuts. (laughs) It's an important part of the chicken experience for me. Well, technically, they're not chicken nuts because then they'd be way too small. (sighs) Do chickens have nuts? I don't know. Oh, I got to Google it. I have to know if they have nuts. Live Googling. We're about to know. We're going to reclassify this as an educational podcast. (laughs) Do chickens have have nuts? Let's let's be classy testicles. Um, Now we're a classy podcast. Yep, 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 yep. But they're maybe inside? There's no... Click images. Ooh, I see them. Oh, why did I do that? (laughs) Okay. They... Okay. Wow, you should do that too. They look, I, I can't say what they look like. Okay, I'm going to have to, so you just typed in testicles? I typed in, do chickens have testicles? I don't want to know what happens if I just type in testicles and hit search. Well, I'm just going to make it brief because I don't have time for, I, I'm I'm just writing chicken testicles. Well, but I don't know if you'll see the same weird picture I saw. Is it, does it look like food? I mean, with the shit you eat, probably. Okay, so I typed in chicken testicles, and there's none that are attached to a chicken. It's all like in, I mean, I guess they are edible. The first picture has six things that look like fleshy kidney beans. Yes. Yeah, oh, seven, actually. Is that an actual kidney bean on the top? Oh, God. Oh, my God. This caption says cock-a-doodle-doo, trippy food. (laughs) I wish I'd never Googled that. I did Google just plain old testicles just because I had to, and it was surprisingly benign. Okay, until I kept scrolling. Now it's not. It says it's, it's a not. delicacy. I don't know Ooh. how I feel. Up. That soup looks so good, though. I'm not lying. Oh, they are inside, right? Yeah, like ovaries. This is so strange. Oh, didn't go- you have chickens at one point, or am I thinking of somebody else? Must have been someone else. Yeah. You seem like you'd have chickens, though. Just we so just you can mo- eat their nuts now that I'm learning <laughs> even more about you. We move around so much. We did have, mm-hmm. um, well, we didn't. My um, father and mother in law had uh, for our wedding, they got us a goat, a couple goats. They got you a goat for your wedding? Two goats. And is that traditional where you come from? No, we just thought it would be like nice to like do the pit and like cook them up and Oh, dead goats. No, they were real goats. Okay. Well, dead goats are still real goats. Yeah. Are they alive or dead? Well, when we got them they were alive. And they gave you the gift of having to murder a goat? No, they did that for us too. And it was Okay. But it was so funny because You know, after the wedding, we went back to our hotel room and we were actually staying at a casino. So it's super late. I'm in my wedding dress. And Cody was like, we we started talking about the goats. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, his stepmom who got the goats, he was like, you know, she's like the nicest lady. She's like a hippie, like gardens all the time, like just the sweetest, like... is she as nice as Aunt Veda? Yeah. They're mm-hmm. friends okay. on Facebook together. Oh, man. Okay. But yeah, so she, um, Cody was telling me, and it was super late, he was telling me about how before 
you know, they basically had to put the goats down, you know, for our wedding meal that um, she went and gave them a hug and a kiss and thanked them for, you know, just, you know, providing the food for our wedding. And I swear I'm like in the middle of this casino, like bawling, crying, like, oh, my gosh, like it just it, it was beautiful. There's a lot to unpack in that story. Yeah. Are your in-laws farmers? Okay, so yes, they were farmers. They, um, Cody grew up in Idaho, and they farmed alfalfa. But they moved several years ago to Oregon um, on the on the coast, like coastal mm-hmm. Oregon. And so now they just are enjoying retirement. And so, I mean, they do things a lot. They fish and hunt. Okay. And well, that makes more sense. I think I was just thinking about like. My mom just giving me a goat apropos of nothing for my wedding, which, hi, mom. If you, no, yeah, that wouldn't happen. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Although she did swear one time when I was a kid as we were driving through a parking lot that she saw a goat in the corner of the parking lot. There was no fucking goat. And she, to this day, she swears to God she saw a goat in the parking lot. It, it's a whole thing. Are you sure there wasn't? Because a lot of like companies and stuff will... You know, you can hire goats, right? What? Yeah. So when you're having like, um, like side of highways, a lot of businesses will do it. They The goats, they'll come and they'll eat the grass and it's, you know, better for the environment. Well, now you went and validated her and she listens to this podcast. Well, your mom's right. Moms are almost always right. Can you imagine your kid and my kid having a podcast and talking about how wrong we are? I mean, it would be upsetting. Right? Yes. You should believe your mom. Yes. You should. Well, it was probably it was probably a hired goat. As both a mother and daughter, I'm so conflicted in my position on this. <laughs> <laughs> How many years ago was this? Oh god, at least twenty. And you're you guys still probably talk mm-hmm. about the goat. I mean it was brought mm-hmm. up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's still a thing. She w- <sighs> But see now I don't know. Did they hire goats back then? Okay, but where did it go? Because she looked up, saw a goat, looked back, and there was no goat. Did it get raptured? Oh, my gosh. Did your in-laws come take it? I don't know. It was my wedding meal. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Well, this is is in the weeds now, so we... (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know, like, how to... We just need a segue, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's no segue here. What story are you telling us? All right. So since Father's Day is going to be right around the corner, really wanted my disaster story this week to pay tribute to that. Um, I went on Google and it wasn't chicken testicles, but I did like type in like dad things, disasters, like because I imagine like motorcycles, lawnmowers, like mm-hmm. something's got to come up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I like s- kind of went down this rabbit hole and I found out like and I never heard this, that the whole beginning of this, you know, golf clubbing necktie U.S. holiday celebrating dads um, actually spawned from a pretty horrific calamity. Really? Yeah. So this is the story of the Monagot mining disaster of 1907 and how it spawned Father's Day in the United States. 
dude, this is cool. I mean, it's not cool. I'm sure it's horrible, but I didn't know that it had such a good tie-in because I was thinking, like, you said you said that it was going to involve a coal mining disaster and that it was going to involve Father's Day. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Melanie, you wanted to do a Father's Day episode? So you're like, a bunch <laughs> of dads probably died? Spoiler alert. A bunch of... D- Listen, spoiler alert. They do. I mean, I assumed so. But now that I know that it involves the origin of Father's Day, this is lit. Carry yeah. on. All right, so Monaga is a town in West Virginia, and it's situated where Booth Creek flows into the West Fork River. I feel like I've never seen it, but I, I kind of have a mental picture of what that would be. It sounds mm-hmm. pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, it was established in 1891, and it quickly grew to be a bustling mining town. Um, for any fellow video game nerds, you can actually visit um, the real-life inspired town of Monaga. Um, it's in fictional ruins, but it's in the Savage Divide in the game Fallout 76. So that's kind of cool. Um, I actually emailed them to see if, like, they could tell me, like, whose idea was that? Like, how did that inspire? Because it's, it's newer. Yeah. I think I think my husband plays that game. They basically told me to go on Reddit. I was very fucking disappointed. I'm like, okay, first of all, they got back to you? Yeah, they did. The, the um... The software company did. Wow, that's actually cool. But then they told you to go on Reddit. Yeah. I literally, like, I don't care. If I have a story and I want to find something out, I'm going to email you and you're just going to have to get over it. Oh, if people only knew the interviews that we have in the works. This is going to be so good. You are rubbing off on me. I am getting incredibly extra about hitting people up for interviews. I mean, this is where you find the good stuff. You know, what are they going to do? Say no, fuck off. I don't care. Like, give like, let's make it good. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've, I've got some stuff that you don't even know about. Go oh, on. <laughs> I'm so excited. I just got goosebumps, Brianne. Hey, wait till you find out what it is. Then you'll get more. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So coal production is doubling about every 10 years in the town and it's going too fast to meet the local worker needs. So scouts kind of went on this recruitment spree in Europe with a promise of the American dream, but it would most certainly fall short of their promises. Most of the men that would come to live in Monegal worked in the mines that surrounded the town and um, miners, they basically labored long hours with very low pay, making about 50 to 75 cents for 12 hours of work. And a couple episode i think it was two episodes ago you had asked me like how much is that in today's okay. money i was pulling up google already because i assumed you did not know and i needed to know you know what i am learning like remember we are, we're gonna get better at okay. this so okay. i did it i converted everything i'll stop time. with my shitty assumptions no i love that you assume things about me because I'm not always going to... This one's just a surprise. <laughs> okay. Surprise! I tricked you. Well, but now I'm now I'm not going to expect things of you. <laughs> Go on. Want, How no. much money is it? Okay, so 50 to 75 cents for 12 hours of work converted in today's rate would be between $13.64 and $20.46 for the entire workday. Ouch. Or roughly about the average of $1.50 an hour. Ouch, man, that's worse than I thought it was going to be. It's fucked up. So 
Oftentimes, if the company paid by cars of coal that the workers loaded, more times than not, they would pay for one less car, claiming that the car contained too much slate. So Hmm. it was shitty. Yeah. Uh, There was no union, no federal laws to protect the workers um, if they got hurt on the job. And there were zero laws controlling uh, child labor. It was just non-existent. Uh, The industrialists were opposed to federal laws protecting the miners and basically said that if immigrants didn't like it, they could just go back where they came from. And quite honestly, we still hear that gross saying today. Yeah, I was going to say, thank God we don't have any rhetoric like that floating around anymore. Jeez, right? That sounds nasty. I mean, this was 19... What did I say? 1906? 1907. It is. Yeah, 1907. And we're still dealing with this bullshit. We got to pull it together, people. Like, come Mm -hmm. on. In more ways than one. All right. So back to all this gross stuff. Okay. So another thing that they did with a bait and switch tactic um, that was used against the coal miners was something that was called the pal or buddy system and this was an unofficial practice in the coal mines where the miner could bring a friend or relative to work with him in the mine um, who was not actually an official employee so the miner's buddy or pal would work alongside with them and they would get to split the regular employees pay so oh, wow yeah you know all, all that money that they mm-hmm. were making um, this may have sounded all good but it resulted in each man getting half the pay that he should get and although having two men working as one made it easier to reach the workday quotas expected of the miner, the quotas were rigged that it was impossible to meet by a single worker. And the average pay of $1.50 an hour in today's money was now whopping 75 cents per person. Wow. That's shady I'm, fucking I'm business. Mad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this, this whole fucking thing made me mad. All right, so let's move on to the disaster. Um, with It was really heavy immigrant population, Monaga, and the mines were closed on December 5th of 1907 in celebration of the Eve of St. Nicholas Day, which was widely celebrated in Europe. And I totally went down a rabbit hole on this one, too. Um, there's a book by uh, David McAteer that covers like this whole disaster. It's super interesting. But he wrote that in the evening, immigrant miners and their families gathered and told stories of the life of St. Nicholas, the third century Bishop of Myra and the protector of the poor against the rich. Traditional food and drink were shared and cookies were passed around for all. Following a tradition retained when St. Nicholas became Santa Claus, children's shoes were left by the fireplace with the hope that a coin would be placed inside. And if you want to do extra research, like the the story of St. Nicholas was like, very very interesting but alas wow i had no idea i know this is a father's day episode but like just for the sake of being a kid again and since this is like super heavy like did you have any christmas traditions um pretty basic stuff i get to open a present on christmas eve my kids get to do the same thing um sometimes we went to see a movie no maybe that was thanksgiving yeah that was thanksgiving i don't know i mean kept it pretty low-key i think my favorite thing was opening a present early what about you you know me i love christmas well we always got the the traditional orange in the stocking oh yeah and then my parents actually did the coin thing for us too with our shoes 
and it's I always, adorable. yeah, and I, I didn't realize. I thought it was just some weird shit that my family did. <laughs> but when my, when my parents passed away, my aunt Carolyn, like she, every year she gives crisp dollar bills to put in my kids' shoes. But like I saw when I saw that like that was a big tradition that they were doing like during, through the story, I was like, oh, I don't know. That it just brought so sweet. Yeah, it brought back a lot of memories. All right, let's get back to business, I guess. So I don't horrible like business. Horrible business, or I'm just gonna like go into daydream mode about Christmas time. So since the mines were closed for the holiday, lots of miners were more than ready to go back to work the next day um, to make up for the missed time. But at 1028 that morning, explosions in mines six and eight would take the lives of most of them. The Appalachian history records said that the blast caused, and I quote, the earth to shake as far as eight miles away, shattering buildings and pavement, hurling people and horses violently to the ground and knocking streetcars off their rails. And the horses didn't even understand. No, they didn't. I love horses. They were just hanging out, you know? Yeah. We'll hear more. That sucks for the people, too, but horses. The Illustrated Monthly West Virginia reported that the worst of the explosion occurred in the number eight mine, and so great was the force that the concrete roof of the engine house was torn into fragments, and one piece weighing more than 100 pounds was blown more than 500 yards away. So that's like bananas to me. That's like, I don't know, I feel like I can picture it. The ventilation systems um, necessary to keep the fresh air supplied to the mine were destroyed along with many of the rail cars and other equipment. Inside the mine, the timbers supporting the roof were blown down, which caused further issues as the roof collapsed. Because of this, it's obvious that the most of the rescue attempts would remain just that, attempts. Um, there was also no trained workers at the time. I did read that the miners from surrounding states um, rushed to the scene. That the rescuers, many of them fellow immigrants, pulled the mutilated bodies of men and boys, some as young as eight, from the carnage. That's sad. Miners above ground desperately tried to move debris from the entrance of the mines to aid to the rescue workers. Um, but because the ves- ventilation system was decimated, they would also become overcome with fumes known as the black damp, which essentially was concentrations of methane gas that can fill a mine shaft. When coal deposits are disturbed. So at this point, the rec- rescuers were in need of being rescued as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the end, only one miner was rescued. At about 4 p.m., volunteers heard a moaning sound from a crop hole. It said that about 100 feet below, Peter Urban was sitting next to the body of his dead brother crying uncontrollably. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was the last living man recovered from the mine. I found him. I found this article. I really lo- love when I can stumble upon like the vint- the actual vintage articles. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I'm a junkie for these old-timey stories. I do. It said uh, <laughs> in the article it said, "All day long frantic women grouped about the opening of the mines and their shrieks of agony were enough to move the hardest heart to pity." One woman, an Italian, whose husband, son, and brother were among the doomed, tore out her hair with her nails and cut gashes in her face. Friends tried to quiet her, but in vain, and she was finally carried home. Grace-stricken mothers, wives, sweethearts, and sisters waited and watched and wept. Some prayed, some sung, and some, in their very ecstasy of sorrow, 
became hysterical and laughed. Wow. I want that type of journalism back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like poetry. Like, yes. Morbid poetry, but. That is intense. Right? I feel like I would be, like, I do. When I get uncomfortable, I laugh. Yeah. I smile. I don't laugh so much, but I'm a nervous smiler. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no true determination of what actually caused the monogon mine uh, explosion. I mean, my uneducated guess is, I mean, it's 1907. You don't really have, (laughs) it is what it is. There are, though, very compelling theories and a probable explanation. So the most widely accepted theory is that there was a train car that was, or sorry, a train of loaded coal cars that was being hauled out of the mine when a coupling pin broke. And it basically sent 19 cars, each loaded with a couple tons of coal, descending the incline back into the mine. So as the train, it picked up speed, it tore out electrical wiring, smashed the ports, and plunged 1,300 feet. The crashing of the train stirred up a cloud of explosive coal dust that mixed with the methane. I was telling you about the black damp earlier. And the flame in a miner's lamp provided the detonator. Oh, my God. I just, I keep thinking about, like, 19 train coal cars going, like, racing. I don't know. I feel like when I listen to this back again later, I'm going to have to, like, rewind a couple times and replay that part. Because that is just so descriptive and intense. Yeah. It's, gosh, it's it's sad. So the Monogon Mine disaster would be known as one of the worst industrial disasters in the U.S., but the death toll is an uncertain at best. So 358 were officially listed as dead. A study of the cemetery in town indicates that the number killed was over 500. One of the gravediggers insisted that the total was 620, and one newspaper reported that as many as 956 were dead. And sort of like kind of a morbid glimpse on how like awful this was, Caskets Line Main Street and the local bank, um, the Monaga National Bank, was turned into a morgue. They, like, turned it in their bank into a morgue. Oh. Yeah. So the day after, five carloads of coffin arrived in town, and the body parts of victims were put in open boxes as they were pulled from the wreckage. Because there was no employment records kept alongside the practice of the buddy system I told you about earlier. Mm-hmm. It was really hard to get an accurate number. And that's really sad because a lot of dads, like, would take their sons you know what I mean? So there's like a yeah. lot of children too. So with that, um, I did find a couple other reasons for the discrepancies in the number of death. Um, one, the explosion was so volatile that many of the bodies were just disintegrated on impact. So they were just gone. There was just nothing left. And two, there was a quick and hasty cover up so the mining industry could save face. The coal company acknowledged that it would be impossible to ever know the true number of men lost. Though, they did have a very accurate count of horses and mules that were killed. Wow. Yeah. I I don't know. I feel like it's like beyond cruel that the industry actually valued the lives of the animals over like human life. I don't know. Don't come after me, animal people. It was just, it's just weird to me. I'll fight them if they come after you. I mean, I will. all loss is bad loss, but. It is, but. 
I mean, if you don't agree that a human life is a little, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I have friends. Hi, friends. You know who you are. Who will be sending me some messages about this? Oh, no. I mean, well, I'm sad about the horses. That was the part that I was the most immediately sad about. But good God. Well, I didn't tell you all the other stuff first. I mean, let's be honest. I started this off talking about eating a goat for my wedding, so. I started this off talking about rooster nuts. If they're animal lovers, maybe we should just like rooster nuts. <laughs> so big, fat rooster nut trigger warning. <laughs> oh. And yeah, we were talking about weird animals to eat, too. This what is not good. What the fuck is wrong with us? This is not good. We we need a, a warning for this episode. Holy shit. Yeah, this one is... Wow. I'm going to title this episode, The Horse Dies. <laughs> Fuck. Shit. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Aunt Veda. Now every time I cuss, I'm thinking about Aunt Veda listening to this. No, it was so cute. It. She's not a pearl clutcher. Okay. And she was like, she didn't even say we... She's like, you didn't have to bleep out the last episode. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's perfect. But trust me, we're not bleeping out any more episodes ever. No, no, like, no that was a one off. That, yeah, that was Merry Christmas. So, <laughs> all right. Back to not rooster nuts. So <laughs> <laughs> the McAteer wrote in his book that the Fairmont Coal Company president, C.W. Watson, immediately capitalized on the anti-immigrant feelings of the time, telling the New York Times almost immediately after the disaster that he could not account for the ignition of dust unless it had been through the careless use of an open lamp. So it's just victim blaming. You know of how course. we like that. The bigwigs basically did everything that they could to avoid compensating the families affected by the mine explosion. I saw that one of the original stockholders um, of the Monagog Coal Company, Coal and Coke Company, which became Fairmont, was John D. Rockefeller. Have you heard of that guy before? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to make a Mark Safe bingo board for people to look for things as they listen to each episode. <gasps> and one of the spaces is going to be a corporation victim blaming the people that its negligence killed. Oh, my gosh. I love bingo so much. Can we please do that? Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Consider it done. I promise I won't make it a bias on my research, but like (laughs) it would be fun. So, yeah, that guy, that guy's an asshole. Um, But yeah, anyways, he was asked on three occasions to contribute to the relief fund that was set up to aid the widows and orphans of the catastrophe. And three times he declined. Of course he did. Just a bunch of fucking useless meatloafs since we're talking about food. (laughs) Useless meatloafs. I'm still hungry. I don't know why. All right. a snack. You want to talk about Father's Day? Ugh, I guess. (laughs) This is a weird fucking episode. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, sure. (laughs) So the origin of Father's Day in the United States is murky at best, but ultimately the credit was given to a Sonora smart dod, who, while at Mother's Day church service in 1909, had the idea of creating a holiday to honor fathers, too. 
There's a lot of history in between with some of the presidents laying the groundwork, which included Calvin Coolidge, Lyndon Johnson, and eventually Richard Nixon, who permanently established Father's Day in 1972 as the third Sunday in June. Did you realize that Father's Day was that young? No. Mother's Day is older, I assume. Yeah, Mother's Day is super old. But wow. it didn't like fully become like a national holiday until 72. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That's, yeah, I mean, I guess before that, it, what even was that role, though? Well, I did see, like, when I was doing my research that, like, the dads, when Father's Day was kind of really pushed, the dads didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, it's that real macho, like, we don't need that, like, we're just doing our jobs type yeah. thing. So they actually, like, most fathers pushed back on this. They thought it was silly. Wow. So I thought that was really neat. But now, now I just want grill accessories. How far we've come. I know. It's so funny, too, because that's like not even like the, my first Father's Day mess up. I was in Australia for a little bit in the early 2000s. And I got in some deep shit with my mom and dad because I didn't call on Father's Day. And I didn't realize that Father's Day is like different in different places. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it was like, it's completely like out of sight, out of mind. Like, I'm in a country that's not celebrating. Oh. Yeah, Australia. Yeah, I would have forgotten that too. Yeah, they celebrate it on the first Sunday in September, hmm. actually. So yeah. I called them then and I was like, see, I didn't forget. I was just doing it like their time. So the most believable claim of the first Father's Day in the U.S. So the Monagon mine explosion widowed over 250 women and left over a thousand children without their fathers or orphaned altogether. Six months after the explosion, Mrs. Grace Golden Clayton reached out to her pastor, Dr. Robert Thomas Webb of Williams Memorial Methodist Episcopal Church, that is a mouthful, and asked to hold a special service in honor of fathers. Um, she had also suffered the loss of her own father, Fletcher Golden, 11 years prior, and she really sympathized with the community. She told a local newspaper that it was partly the explosion that set me to think how important and loved most fathers are. All those lonely children and the heartbroken wives and mothers made orphans and widows in a matter of a few minutes. Oh, how sad and frightening to have no father, no husband to turn to in such a sad time. Oh, yeah, it's really touching. It is. So on July 5th, um, close to her own father's birthday, the first Father's Day service was held. But it didn't really garner much attention. It was definitely overshadowed by two specific events. So the first one was the death of 21-year-old Lucy Billingsley from typhoid uh, fever. She was the daughter of a pretty prominent family member in town and also a member of the church's congregation. Um, so everybody was really just like shaken up about that. And then another one was the 4th of July festival, which brought in about 1200 people or 12,000 people to the town. It had a hot air balloon show and a circus style performers. Um, an article I found from the West Virginia department of arts, culture, and history said that shortly afterwards, the church was damaged, um, by mine substances and shut down for several months. They had other things on their mind. The original sermon was lost, and it just seems as though no one thought it was a great deal at the time. No one jumped on the bag wagon and went to city council for proclamation. No one got onto the governor. No one went to Congress. 
Mrs. Clayton apparently thought it was not ladylike for someone to go out and toot their own horn. Wow. Yeah. So I thought this this is probably like the most compelling um, part of the argument on why like this is the actual first Father's Day. So it's thought that Grace's Father's Day service was also inspired by another West Virginian who is responsible for the first Mother's Day celebration in the U.S. earlier that same year um, in a town called Grafton. And it was literally only 15 miles away. Oh, wow. So it makes sense. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, my story of the Monaga mine explosion and how it really is the first Father's Day in the States. Wow, that was incredible. Really interesting. I'm glad I stumbled on that one. It was, yeah, definitely horrible. Just the the part with the, the, oh God, the cars going backwards and the ripped out wiring. And I keep thinking about that part. I don't know. It would, I think it'd be an excellent movie. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I'm surprised it's not already. I mean, is it? Did you look? I did look. I didn't find, I did find uh, McAteer's book, um, which is, this guy did like amazing research. Like he has everything. So I got a lot of stuff from him. And then one of the websites that I was looking at, hold on, let me look it up real quick. Uh, It's called Order of the Good Death. And Mm. she's a death doula, which I thought was so interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, she uh, basically is, like, trying to take, like, you know, the negativity out of, like, dying. Like, just to... Uh, the the website's amazing. So, it's just, like, it's a pro-death website. And, I mean, I think I could spend hours on it. She's got a lot of really, really great information there. Wow. I wish that there would... I want to do an episode about that, but I guess it's really not on topic. I guess I'm just going to have to fall down my own rabbit hole because that is a mind-boggling concept. Maybe we'll do like a bonus episode on death doulas. Is that a thing? Like multiple people or is it just her? I don't know. I've literally never heard about it and probably would have never heard about it if it wasn't for this. Wow. But, now, but I'd love to find out more. We should. We should dig into it. Yes, absolutely. I have questions and thoughts and I, wow. Doesn't, like, what do you do for a living? I'm a death doula. That sounds so fucking cool. That is so fucking metal. The most metal. (laughs) Maybe we can interview her. Oh my God. I bet she'd be down. We just have to ask, right? I mean, according to you, we should just ask everyone. Yep. Mm-hmm. People have- will know that they have you and your cheerleading to thank for the influx of interviews that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are we going to button this up? <sighs> you can. No. I will wrap it up. Oh, this this is not working. You need to update your lingo, Melanie. Never. Go for All it. Right. Wrap it up. Stay safe. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to support us further, you can find us at patreon.com slash marksafepodcast. There's a bunch of goodies on there, including shout outs, final stickers, and bonus content. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mark Safe Podcast. 
Huge thanks to Joshua Hooper for our amazing podcast cover art, and also to Dusty Bow and Brandon for our incredible music intro. And thank you, our listeners, for sharing and subscribing. We hope you stay safe. See you later, my friends.